Snow White had her dwarfs. You have the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The Medicare podcast using a big block Chevy for power. He used to shoot baskets with a bowling ball. It's Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Well, hello again, ladies and gentlemen. It's another exciting, thrill-packed episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. This is uh, your old buddy, Uncle Doug. Yeah, you may have heard recently that I am a Medicare expert, but in reality, I just prefer to be everybody's old Uncle Doug. And uh, that's the way I like it. I slow down. And in this uh, time of my life, I'm just not as energetic as I used to be. But I am still dedicated to the proposition that everyone entering Medicare should be given good advice as to what choices they have to make. And that's what I do for a living. I help people understand what to buy to supplement their Medicare coverage so that they're never sorry, but they don't own too much insurance. There's nothing worse than somebody being bled dry from an insurance product that costs way too much and provides more coverage than one needs. Because what you're doing there, you're doing two things. First of all, you're wasting money. Secondly, you're making it a brighter, happier Christmas for the sleazebag agent that sold you a product that was too expensive. Because as we all should know, an agent's compensation is a commission. It's a percentage of the premium that you have to pay. And, but, uh, you know, some might say, well, listen, what about some of these horrible Medicare Advantage plans that don't have very much of cost at all? The premium cost is very low. Sometimes they say it's zero premium. Well, you pay for those in other ways, because if you need medical treatment, then all of a sudden they're going to reach into your pocket for their share of the costs. Uh, Those companies that sell Medicare Advantage plans don't tell you about the dire consequences, uh, the out-of-pocket limits. Just be sure and ask. If you're considering one of those, be sure and ask what the maximum maximum out-of-pocket limit is, and uh, the number will be surprising. In fact, the person will not want to tell you. Yeah, because he's probably going to lose his sale. But I digress. Uh, My Medicare musings that you're listening to in this podcast are inspired by the book I wrote entitled Medicare for the Lazy Man, Simplest and Easiest Guide Ever. The one that's available for sale now on Amazon.com and on BarnesandNoble.com is the 2022 edition. So if you put that title into the search engine, at uh, either of those two websites, uh, then you will find the book along with the green 2022 on the cover that will uh, tell you that you've got the right edition. And uh, when you go to Amazon, you'll find that there's a hardcover edition. There's a paperback edition, which costs about $8. And there is a Kindle edition, which costs less than $4. And then there's an audible edition wherein I will actually do all the work of reading to you and putting that Medicare knowledge into your ears. And I don't know what they've charged for that. I'm not involved in the pricing for a lot of these things. I'm thinking it's under $6. So you have a very uh, well-priced series of options that will 
tell you everything you need to know to become your own Medicare expert. And I applaud you doing that. And then, of course, you can contact me and ask me any questions that arise. If something wasn't clear, I'd be happy to explain it to you. And, of course, I would like to be your insurance agent. So when you cross that Medicare line, I would like to be right there with you, holding your hand and selling you the very moderately priced insurance that will fill the holes and gaps in Medicare. So that's my editorialization for today. I would ask uh, Randy for a commentary on that, but he's busy drinking coffee. He was so excited to fill up his mug with coffee, but uh, now you're finished with that particular slug of coffee. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I, I just something popped into my head as you were doing that intro. Um, you were talking about Medicare disadvantage plans and I a variety was. of things like that. And you know my love for Medicare disadvantage plans. I do. I know. <laughs> Indeed, I do. <laughs> so I, you know, I always look up something, you know, to have on my, uh, basically in my back pocket, witty and quick, you know, and so that prompted me to look something up witty and quick. And uh, this is going to be formed in the, in the context of a stump, the insurance expert. I knew we'd get to that sooner or later. All righty. I'm going to, I'm going to hold my breath and hope that I don't get stumped too painfully. So just remember that this is all vaguely and distantly related to a Medicare disadvantage plan. Already? What happened on this day in 1985? Oh, boy, 1985. On this day, actually one month from this day, I moved into a different house. I moved from one house to another house on September 30th, 1985. But that is not... That is not what you're going to go for here because it's not related to Medicare Advantage. So I'm going to have to give up, Randy. I'm going to have to, without a hint, I'm I'm just not going to be able to uh, hazard a guess. Let me give you a little bit of a hint. This, whatever it was that we're talking about, was found about 400 miles east of Newfoundland. Ooh, boy, 400 miles east of Newfoundland. Um, so it was out in the ocean. I'm guessing it was the Titanic. Was the Titanic discovered? You're right. Today wow. was the day that they discovered the Titanic, September 1st, and they found it, and they mapped it, and boy, that was a cool, cool deal. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like 57 years after it sunk. It was, uh, I think it was April of 1912 when it went down. Yep, yep. And, and you know, the other, this, this is another, inter- just an interesting coincidence. Uh-huh. Uh, the 50th year anniversary of the Titanic going down. Right. M- Margaret and I were on an Atlantic cruise, and just as, and basically as we were on this Atlantic cruise to Ireland, that was the day we were cruising the day that it went down and on April 14th, April. Okay. It was April 14th of 1912. Was that the, cause you yeah, said the I 50th, believe... the 50th anniversary of the sinking would have been 1962. Margaret would barely have been a twinkle in somebody's oh, eyes. Yeah. It must've been more than. So what would it have been about 1990 something? 
40 more years. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be your 78th anniversary or 70th or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. See, see how well I do in math without my computer. Well, we're going to have an episode on, uh, Medicare supplement mathematics one of these days. In fact, that was going to be our uh, episode today, but it, turned out to i was sidetracked and i'll explain that in a second but have we finished stumping me or um, is there more yeah stumping? That, well there, there was one more but it's not really there's be no reason that you would know this but i just thought it was kind of interesting this is the same day in 1972 that bobby fisher ah. was the first united states player to ever win the world, what is it? The world's open world open championship. Yeah. In the yeah. United States. Now, do I have that mixed up uh, accurately with the Olympics? Is there an Olympic chess tournament championship or is that a figment of my imagination? I don't know that it's a figment of your imagination, but I'm unaware of it. Okay. Well, here's the deal. Uh, Bobby Fisher and Boris Spassky, I guess, uh, had their major chess showdown at about the same time as the 72 Olympics were going on because I had just arrived in Tucson to go to school. And so I remembered that, uh, I met all these new friends and since Mary had to stay home for that first semester, uh, we got an apartment together and, um, there was a lot of chess talk and a lot of, uh, uh, Olympic talk. And then of course, that's when the, uh, Palestinians, uh, captured many Israeli athletes and, and, uh, smoked them, uh, mm-hmm. if you'll recall. Mm-hmm. So yep. that was, uh, it was quite a, a thrill packed time, uh, bad things going on, but the nice thing is they, uh, managed to eliminate all of the, uh, perpetrators of that particular, um, travesty of justice. So anyway, yep. when you mentioned Bobby Fisher, of course, you and I both have that disease of, uh, free association. And uh, you you dredged up memories from uh, long ago, <laughs> fifty almost fifty years ago, nineteen seventy two. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's one more free association that I'm sure will catch your attention. Where was that match held between Boris Spassky and Bobby Fischer? I want to say Helsinki. 72. Helsinki is my guess. Uh, Darn it. Reykjavik. Okay. Well, it was a silly name anyway. It was just a different silly name. I've been in Reykjavik, and it's quite Uh an interesting place, but I was at the airport, and I bought a – and they they do do business up there in kroners. Yep, yep, uh, yep. Danish kroners. Sure. And I didn't know what a kroner was worth, so I went and bought a sandwich. Uh Uh, You know, know, one of those plastic wedge deals, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, out of a machine and, uh, or something. And a soda about as, you know, like a seven-ounce soda, one of those old-style ones. Yep. And she told me that would be 29,000 kroners. Oh, man, you probably and were just I, holding out your hand full of kroners saying, here, take what I, you need, I, lady. I, I had both my hands full of kroners, and I said, I have no idea if this is enough. <laughs> 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 take take what you need. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she was happy uh, to see you because that was her little retirement plan, I'm quite certain. Yes, I, I probably she probably came away with a lot more kroners than she needed, but I I, I just about flipped out. On the other hand, if you if a sandwich costs twenty nine thousand kroners, I'm guessing that a kroner isn't worth a whole lot, and she probably didn't yeah. didn't really profit from her interaction with you to the extent that no, she. No, I, 
I think in American money, it, it ended up being about, I don't know, 12 bucks, 13 oh, bucks. I don't know. That, that was a lot of money 50 years ago. That was before yeah. Jimmy Carter's inflation and before the Democrats uh, <laughs> uh, caused um, uh, depression that occurred in 07 and 08. But ah, that's uh, economic news for another time. We are yeah. embarking. Oh, no. Oh, my God. The Medicare Advantage people are after me. I'm going to have to mute I'm going to have to mute my mic and go take care of this. I'll be right back. I'm hearing your equipment editorialize about the Medicare Advantage salesmen that are lurking outside. So here's the deal. Uh, I uh, have a spousal unit, and she is planning to undergo knee replacement surgery in the very near future. Uh, I uh, was uh, treated to a telephone call from a client who is undergoing hip replacement surgery in the very near future. And then... I was told by the spousal unit that she had a book about knee replacement surgery to prepare people for it and tell them what was going to happen and tell them um, how they should prepare for the surgery and all that stuff. And she thought it was pretty silly. And so I took, I took that book away from her and I said, let me see if there's anything that other that listeners of the podcast would be interested in. And it turns out that it's a whole treatise on knee replacement specifically, but basically surgical stuff. If you're going to have something else done, I think a lot of this is applicable to that. And so uh, going from uh, making fun of the books uh, appeal to the lower lowest common denominator of uh, surgical patient to actually disseminating factual information about how you should prepare for surgery if you're going to have a joint replacement. I've just totally switched gears. So we're on the second the second episode of uh, knee replacement surgery. So this is uh, a read from the book that Mary was given by her doctors. So the introduction is once the knee becomes significantly affected by arthritis or injury, it can become extremely difficult to perform simple activities such as walking or climbing stairs. You may even begin to feel pain while at rest. The knee is the largest joint in the body, and having healthy knees is required to perform most everyday activities. The knee is made up of lower end of the thigh bone, the femur, and the upper end of the shin bone, which is the tibia, and the kneecap, the patella. The ends of these three bones are covered with a cartilage cap. Cartilage is a smooth substance, substance that protects the bones and enables them to move easily within the joints without friction. The menisci are located between the femur and the tibia. We might be going a little deep on the uh, knee structure here, uh, since I don't have any visual aids to show the audience. These C-shaped cushion-like structures act as shock absorbers within the knee joint. Large ligaments hold the femur and the tibia together and provide stability. The quadriceps muscles give the knee strength. All remaining surfaces of the knee are covered by a thin lining called the synovial membrane. This membrane releases fluid that lubricates the cartilage. Uh, and once non-surgical treatments like activity mod uh, modification, medications and injections, bracing and assistive devices like walking supports are no longer helpful, you may consider knee replacement surgery. Knee replacement surgery is a safe, effective, and reliable procedure to relieve the pain, correct leg deformity, 
and help you resume desired activities. Non-arthritic, oh, hmm. <laughs> oh, this membrane releases a fluid. I'm going to back up to where I was. Uh, this membrane releases a fluid that lubricates the cartilage. Non-arthritic knee. Wow. I don't know what the heck. This is a poorly written page in this book. It says, normally all three of these components work in harmony, but disease or injury can disrupt this harmony, resulting in pain, muscle weakness, and reduced function. And uh, I'm going to speak to their editors the next time I have an opportunity. So uh, it's remotely possible that I didn't copy a page in here. But so they apparently are listing things. If you have arthritis, that says there are many types of arthritis. However, the most common form is osteoarthritis. This is the wear and tear type of arthritis. It occurs when the cartilage that cushions the bones of the knee softens and wears away. The bones then rub against one another, causing knee pain and stiffness. Surgical approach and incision, number one, the skin and soft tissues are cut to achieve access to the knee joint. I guess this is what the actual surgical procedure is all about. The skin is cut in a straight line in the middle of the knee, directly overlying the kneecap. The deep, soft tissues are incised, I think that means hacked open, by making a curvilinear incision around the kneecap. Jeez, this looks like a uh, uh, butcher's uh, uh, instruction manual for how to uh, carve up a quarter of beef, uh, or maybe a side of beef, I don't know. Implant positioning, the, the removed cartilage and bone is replaced with metal components that recreate the surface of the joint. These metal parts may be cemented or press fit into the bone. The procedure, the term knee replacement is a bit misleading since it makes it seem as though the entire knee will be removed and replaced. It is best to consider the procedure as a resurfacing rather than an actual replacement because only the surface of the bones are replaced. There are six basic steps to knee replacement. Okay, I understand how they laid this thing out. They didn't make it easy for a guy like me to make fun of the book. So one is the surgical approach or incision. And uh, then number two is just showing a picture of the knee with some of the parts labeled. Number three, implant positioning. The damaged cartilage ends of the femur and the tibia are removed along with a small amount of underlying bone. I wish you could see these pictures with me, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So number four doesn't really have any captions. It's just all the parts of the knee are labeled from A to G. Number five, wound closure. Uh, okay, wait, maybe this is number four. Patella, patellar resurfacing. The undersurface of the patella, the kneecap, is shaved and surfaced with a plastic button. Some surgeons do not resurface the kneecap depending on the case. Number five, wound closure. The soft tissue envelope around the knee is closed with suture material. The skin is then closed with absorbable sutures and a sterile dressing is put into place. And they have pictures, ooh, pretty pictures of the knee with all kinds of things scribbled on it. Um, and I guess that's, uh, the, the sutures, huh? I thought it was handwriting, but it's, uh, apparently sutures. So the end result, according to this book, a reliably functional and painless knee joint that allows patients to return to their desired lifestyle and activities once fully rehabilitated. 
So what to expect before surgery? Now we're getting into the meat of what this book is all about. What to expect before surgery? Number one, call and confirm your surgery date, time, and location with the surgery scheduler no later than the day before surgery. And here's the telephone number. Number two, <laughs> identify a family member or friend as your dedicated knee replacement coach. Uh, Randy thought, you know, Medicaid, Medicare people might want a Medicare wingman. I'm going to be a knee replacement wingman, it looks like, uh, or a knee replacement coach. This is the person who is likely to be with you throughout the surgery and rehab process. This should be someone who can motivate, encourage, and help care for you in the post-operative period. Or number three, arrange for a family member or friend. Is that different than your coach? Uh, arrange for a family member or friend, preferably your knee replacement. Now, I guess it's the same person, preferably your knee replacement coach to accompany you to the center on the day of your surgery. Number four, arrange for someone to stay with you for the first 48 hours once you return home following your knee replacement surgery. I, I guess that's me. Just call me coach. Adjust your work and social schedule accordingly during your anticipated recovery time. That's step number five. Step number six, you will be discharged from the facility as discussed previously. So plan ahead for transportation home or to the hotel if you are coming in from out of town for the day of your planned surgery. Well, I think the coach can handle the arrangements for the uh, transportation. Just call me coach. Seven, remove small throw rugs or any other obstacle or tripping hazards that may be in your path once you return home after your knee replacement. Well, I'm thinking that that's not the coach's job. I, I'm a far too important part of this thing to be uh, tasked with uh, removing throw rugs and other obstacles. So might have to hire a cleaning lady or somebody to come in and do that. If you have pets, you may want to arrange for someone to assist in caring for them for a few days after you return home from surgery. Also beware that small pets can be a tripping hazard. Number nine, while taking narcotic pain medications, you will not be permitted to drive. By whom, huh? By whom will you not be permitted to drive? Plan ahead and visit the grocery store prior to your planned surgery date. You may also need to arrange for transportation to your physical therapy and initial follow-up visit. I guess the coach isn't included in that, so I can just lay around with my feet up, uh, eating bonbons and reading movie magazines while she arranges for transportation to all these places she's going to need to go after the surgery. Number 10, your surgeon would like you to begin physical therapy within a few days after surgery. Please call and confirm your initial physical therapy visit for after your knee replacement surgery. Number 11, your surgeon or the physician's assistant will provide you with various post-operative prescriptions. Please ensure that you go to the pharmacy and collect these prescriptions prior to your surgery date. The surgeon's team should provide you with the prescription at least one week prior to surgery. And uh, let's see. Oh, there's a full list of medication on uh, 28 through 30. In this book, this book is a lot more comprehensive than I would have thought. Number 12, your initial follow-up appointment is scheduled for approximately 10 to 14 days following your surgery. This appointment may have already been made for you prior to surgery. Please call and confirm your appointment date and time. If you do not have an initial follow-up appointment scheduled, please call and make an appointment. Number 13, out-of-state patients will need to visit their surgeon or physician assistant 
before traveling home after a knee replacement. Number 15, oh, number 14, complete your pre-operative laboratory work, blood draw, and EKG. Finally, number 15, contact your primary care physician. I don't have one of those, but I'm only a coach. I'm not a patient. So contact your primary care physician regarding stoppage or continuation of regularly prescribed medications. Oh, boy. That's the first part of it, which is preparing for surgery. Actually, there's another element that we'll be reading another time that indicates uh, the actual preparations for surgery. Uh, I don't know what the coach is going to do. I'm hoping to find out that that um, the coach doesn't really have a lot to do, but I guess we'll see. So, Randy, I hope you never have to become a coach, but if you are, it's nice that uh, they hang a title on you anyway. Yeah, it always makes you feel better. I, I was just curious, did they say anything in there about getting a whistle? Not so far, but as luck would have it, I have both a whistle and a hotel desk clerk's bell, you know, ding, ding, ding. Oh, and, good, good, and good, so good. I will be alternately whistled at and dinged at uh, anytime the patient needs some coaching. So did, then is there another chapter in there at some point in terms of if you are the coach as opposed to a disinterested third party? Right, right. How how to avoid family conflict? Well, I'm guessing that there's no way to avoid family conflict. I didn't notice that as I was photocopying the book. So <laughs> I'll be reading it more carefully and you'll have an opportunity to enjoy it with me. And we'll find out yes. about family conflict, yes. I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, you know something? We have uh, exhausted our time, so we need to sign off with these uh, beautiful folks. I need to thank them again, as always, for listening. We have a lot of fun with you, and we wouldn't have any fun without you. But in the meantime, you need to get out, write Doug a letter, dbj at mlmmailbag.com, Buy some paperbacks, as I said in another episode a little earlier. It's coming close to the holidays, and they make great stocking stuffers. They really do. Yes, I would hope to find one in my Labor Day stocking when I get up on yes. Labor Day morning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, or you can get an audio, or you can get the Kindle version. Either one or a combination thereof will work fine, but it's it's certainly money well spent. Look at all the book reviews and you'll see what we mean. But in the meantime, you have just spent 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy hailing from Oklahoma, now residing in his fortress of solitude in the high altitude mountains behind Cave Creek, Arizona at about today. 6,427 feet. I can breathe easier. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Thank you, Randy. Bye-bye.